This is CliffCentral.com. You're back on the Daily Maverick Show on Cliff Central with me, Greg Nicholson. We're going to change tack a little bit now and look north, of, well, north from South Africa at least, and talk about Kenyan politics. Now you'll remember our former host, Kingsley Kapuri, uh, was quite passionate about these issues and we used to follow them quite a bit. So I want to make sure that we continue the trend. And today we've got Nanjala Nyobole on, on, the, on the line from Kenya. She's a, a writer, um, a political analyst. Can you hear, hear us, Nanjala? Hello? Okay, we'll just keep on working to get her back on the line. Some of you might have been following the, the elections recently in Kenya, which, which last month we looked at, and obviously it was quite contested between the, the two biggest candidates, President Uhuru Kenyatta and the, the long-term opposition leader and perennial second-place comer, Raila Odinga. Um, they went to elections recently, and and once again, um, Kenyatta won. But the issue there was that it had to, it had to go... There was wide allegations of vote rigging, uh, as there often are in Kenya, and Raila Odinga decided to challenge the issue in the Kenyan Supreme Court. He was finally successful this time, despite there being fears that either the court would be corrupt or they would perhaps side with the president and the powers, powers that be. The president actually won, had won the election by, I think it was nine percentage points. Instead of that, what happened was there was quite a moment for for Kenya's Kenya's democracy, where the Supreme Court, with its newly installed Chief Justice, who is seen as quite uh, quite a quite a stickler for the rules. I think when I was reading about him today, I was thinking about comparisons between South Africa's own Chief Justice Mukhoeng Mukhoeng. But um, what what happened there was that eventually the 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 results were overturned. Okay, I think we should have Nanjala on the line now. Hi. Hi, Nanjala. How are you doing? I'm doing well, thanks. How are you? Good. Thank you for joining us. I was trying to give a bit of an introduction to the topic, but I'm sure you can take us right through it now, now <laughs> that you're with us. So, sure. as, I, as I was saying, the Supreme, uh, Supreme Court ruling, I think it happened, was it about a week or two ago? And um, it looked like it came to a, uh, as a surprise to many Kenyans. Some of my friends were... They were just so elated that this this sort of you know the, this result came through in terms of overruling the election and ruling it, that it must be held once again. Was it a defining moment for Kenya in terms of accountability and democracy and demonstrating that the country has an independent judici- judiciary? I think so. Yes, um, I think that we saw a chief justice and a bench take a very strong stance against the same executive that appointed them which is not only unusual for Kenya, it's a pretty unusual thing globally, if you think about it. Um, and I think that the way that the, the ruling was set out and the way that they explained it, it just showed that it was it was very much grounded in the law and very much grounded in the current circumstances with the elections and saying, you know, we've, we've had so many election petitions in Kenya's past mm-hmm. that... It's it's almost like they were saying, okay, enough of this. We we keep tweaking and tweaking and tweaking the law. Let's just take a firm, clear stance on the fact that the law should guide these elections, and that's what they did. And and I think it was a really big, important moment for independence of the three arms of government. For those uh, for the listeners who are outside of Kenya and haven't been following politics so closely, can you just unpack a little bit more about? 
how surprising this was and why it was such um, so, such a proud <laughs> proud moment for many. Ooh, how much time do you have? <laughs> um, it's you know it's a really big deal because elections have always been complicated in Kenya. Um, we had our first multi-party election in 1992. That was problematic. There was huge problems with voting. Huge, huge problems with counting. The problem is never with the voting problem is always with the counting and what tends to happen is then we have an election petition and then the court says well it's fine the guy who won in that case was president former president moy he was going to win anyway it doesn't matter this is just a technicality and so we've actually had an election petition in 1992 in 1997 we had one in 2013 and then in 2007 we had that whole icc proceeding so there's been a legal and what you see happening is, as these things are happening, the legal system around elections becomes more and more complicated. So we get new rules, we get a new constitution in 2010, and we have a whole chapter on elections in the constitution, which is very unusual. We have a whole new election body. We had to abolish the old one and start again in 2013. And, and really as the regime gets more and more complicated, as the laws become more and more complicated, mm -hmm. then the whole process of deciding, of arbitrating who won the election also becomes more and more complicated. So it's not normal for elections to go straight from the polls to the Supreme Court in other parts of the world, I think. I think it happened in Angola as well fairly recently, and they were hoping for the same mm -hmm. miracle. But generally, um, in Kenya, that's usually par for the course. And when you read the decisions that have gone before, you see the courts doing a lot of intellectual gymnastics in order to, to maintain the status quo and say, look, it's the guy who won was going to win anyway. Um, this doesn't really affect the outcome. But I think this bench is full of technicians. And these are people who are not there because, you know, our previous Supreme Court justice was an activist. And he was more oriented towards the outcome. But this bench, these are technicians. They said, actually, we're not so much interested in the outcome. We're really interested in how you got there. And in fact, in the ruling Justice Maraga read, he said, um, if you did a math exam, you wouldn't just get a grade because of a final answer. You would have to show your work. And what the commission failed to do is to show their work. And therefore, you need to go back and you need to take this test again and come back stronger. Okay, let's stick and, and continue to talk about the commission. So while this ruling seems extremely positive for the independence of the three arms of, of state and, and, I guess, democracy in general, what does it imply about the integrity of the Electoral Commission? Now, you have to go to elections again very soon, and the commission, the IABC, has come under this huge cloud so recently. Yeah, it definitely it doesn't make it easier. And I think that what it is, is what, it, what the court tried to do is they tried to walk a very fine line. So if you read the judgment closely, you'll see that they don't say that it was criminal. They don't say that anybody necessarily set out to compromise the election. They say that they just didn't do a good job. So in the criminal law, for example, you have something called criminal negligence, or negligence right? So... Um, if, for example, you were in your house and you stored a bottle of bleach in a water bottle and someone drank from that water bottle and got poisoned and died, you wouldn't be guilty of murder. You wouldn't even be guilty of manslaughter because you didn't set out to kill anybody. 
but something bad still happened and you had to be held accountable for it. That's kind of the line that the court was trying to walk. They basically said, you didn't set out to screw up this election. You didn't set out to cause any harm, but you did. And you basically need to go back and do better. And that's a very fine legal line that they did, that they walked, but they didn't ask for the for the I, for the commission to start from scratch. They're basically saying what you have in place is good. Just go back and actually use it. We've seen protests this week against the IABC, and I think um, Odinga's party is calling for for the head, uh, the the commissioner, to step down. How can how can anyone trust the institution to now hold free and fair elections after the last results were flawed? And what is the feeling amongst among citizens there are people starting to feel that this process will now improve i think it's really at this point we don't really have a choice (laughs) there is no way to reform the commission before the election keep in mind that this commissioners that we have now they haven't even been in the job for two years because we had this massive uh, protest um, in late 2000, early 2016, because of the previous set of commissioners, and and so um, there's it takes so long to replace commissioners, to replace independent commissioners, that there's actually just no time for it. And I personally don't think that it's a good use of the opposition's time. They it's a delaying tactic, uh, in my view, and I think it's a cheap one. Um, and I think that they would be better served to focus on the things that the court said that they needed to focus on, which was tightening up the process. The the law in Kenya allows them to have their own independent tally to actually go out and have representatives in every polling station and do their own tallying. Why not focus on recruiting those people instead of asking people to go out on the street and protest, knowing that time is not on your side and the law is not on your side on this? Um, with the second part of your question, what's the mood? I honestly just think we're tired. Um, my reading of Kenya is at this point is everybody's really tired. You know, um, the international press sees an election on voting day. We've been living with this for pretty much the last three years. And kind of just wanted to go away um, at this point. Um, you see it in the way the protests go down. The numbers aren't there. Um, you know, in when Kenyans protest properly, uh, you know, the death of Willie Kimani, it, we shut the whole city down. And and the numbers just aren't there on either side, on either Jubilee or NASA. Nobody's coming out to protest because most people are just tired. Is there cynicism that... These guys, Kenyatta, Odinga, and obviously all of their, their networks within, within their parties and coalitions, they're, they're just going to find a smarter way to rig the elections? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> that one's easy. <laughs> um, yes. And I think that's always going to be the challenge with Kenyan election. Um, remember, these guys all know each other. Mm-hmm. In 2007... Uh, Raila and Kenyatta were, uh, Raila and Ruto were on one side of the election and Kenyatta was on, and Colonzo were on the other. So they know each other. They know each other's tricks. They know each other's secrets. They know each other's plans. And that's part of the problem that we have in Kenya is that their mutual suspicion is grounded in the fact that they know each other so well. So right now they're all acting from that place of the, the ruling coalition wants to amend the election laws to um, consolidate the things that the court said 
this is actually quite unacceptable. So, for example, the manual count. We are required by law to have electronic transmission of results. The ruling party says, no, we want to change that law. We want a law that allows manual counting. Um, and the, I, the opposition says, well, hang on, you can't change the election law so close to the election. So that's the challenge that we have as a country right now is we're dealing with a class of politicians who know each other too well and who are not above um, that level of manipulating the system um, in order to make it work. But, you know, really, one other thing that Justice Chief Justice Maraga said in court is that um, there's no such thing as a perfect election. What you want is for it to be as close to perfect as possible. And I not even, you know, even in the U.S., um, even in Germany uh, last week, it's very rare for an election to actually be perfect. But you just have to keep working towards that, I think. We know what happened with the violence after the 2007 elections. Is there a serious risk of these tensions escalating to become becoming more widespread and sort of violence spreading or, or repeating itself again? I guess this is the question often us international um, onlookers always always want to know, right? But yeah. is that actually a risk when when these things continue to play out? Um, there's allegations, I guess, against each other. Could these things escalate in that sort of direction or, or are we actually moving in the opposite direction at the moment? I think it's complicated. Um, there are many things that are still very much in play that were in play in 2007. Uh, the ethnic uh, tribal question, the personalities in question, the stakes have definitely gone, I would say they're even higher. But I think the one factor, well, I'll say two things. One, I think the one factor that everybody overlooks that's really the deciding factor is that Kenyans have changed, that we as a country have changed. And having gone through that particularly traumatic experience, most, uh, you know, I travel around the country a lot talking to different people, and it's a fear that's also very much on, on people's minds here. And I don't think that the average Kenyan would want things to go the, down the way they did in 2007. Um, one thing that I've been saying to people is, you know, you have you, you don't start political history in 2007, you have to go back. And in 2002, we had a near-perfect election, and hopes were so high. We were so, so, so ecstatic and hopeful. And, and it was almost inevitable that the next election would be disappointment because that the, the watermark was so high. And we don't have that now. 2013 election was problematic. 2007, as you said, was problematic. So expectations are really in the toilet. And everybody just is, is, is not, the, the space for disappointment is not so high. Um, but the second thing I wanted to mention is that there, there, that doesn't mean that there isn't a risk of violence. And I think that, the, to me, the biggest risk factor for electoral violence in Kenya is the police. And we've already seen it in the last five, six weeks. There's been disproportionate policing of opposition events, of opposition um, strongholds. And we've seen 25 people died, a university student died day before, yesterday because of the police invaded uh, the University of Nairobi and tear gas students while they were in class. Uh, one young man died. Um, the in the university in Kenya, like in many other countries, is is usually affiliated to the opposition um, university communities. And um, 
that's a problem. And I, to me, if there is anything that's worth watching is not just what did the police do, which is a problem, but how people respond to that. I, I cannot stress enough how disheartened I went to some of these communities after the last bout between August 11th and August 14th. Um, and the police had gone into opposition strongholds and beaten and tear gassed and killed the people who they said were protesting. I cannot stress to you how much it broke people's spirits to have that experience. And we had a movement that was starting called Lua Lives Matter, where people were saying, are we actually part of this country when the state can treat us like this and get away with it? That kind of disenfranchisement leads to a counter reaction. And that, to me, is the thing that we really need to watch, is the cops. Nangela, before I let you go, can you just very briefly tell me how likely is it that these elections will go ahead on October 26th? We know that they've been delayed. I think there was a 10-day delay that they've already already implemented. It seems like yeah. a really short time to prepare a whole election across the whole country. Ah, oh, Greg, if I knew the answer to that, I would bottle it and sell it and retire uh, somewhere pretty. Um, <laughs> no, I think it's, um, on one hand, it's a smaller election. Uh, remember, August 8th, we had 14,000 candidates running across almost 400 different no, way more than 400 different positions, right? And that all had to be coordinated over a 24-hour period for the actual vote. In this case, we're talking about two candidates, one ballot paper. Um, everything has already in place. They really just have to do it again. The one factor that I was most concerned about was the national exams because um, – 90% of the polling stations, gazetted polling stations, are schools, and the national exam starts October 21st. And it wasn't clear how they were going to coordinate that because that is almost, that's over a million um, students that they have to coordinate um, how the two events come together. But the IBC, the commission, seems confident that they can do that. So, in one way, it's a simpler election. All the laws are in place, all the raw material is in place. It shouldn't be that big a deal. On the other hand, this is Kenya, and <laughs> you know, um, there's always that surprise, you know, right around the corner whenever we have a big event. Uh, we had it in August 8th, August 7th, uh, the head of IT, August 6th, head of IT at the commission turns up tortured and mm. killed, you know, two days to the election. Um, and that's what leads to all of these uh, issues because they, they then switch off electronic transmission on almost a third of polling stations. Um, so it's really hard to call in that regard. Is is there going to be another surprise around the corner? But I would say, barring any unforeseen circumstances, barring any nasty surprises, there is no reason why we shouldn't have an election on October 26th and reserve the right to say, Karibu Kenya, surprise, we're going to move the date again. <laughs> Asante sana, uh, Nanjela Nyombola. Uh, thank you so much for joining us once again, and we hope to get you back on the line when and if they happen. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Cheers, cheers. That's Nanjela no, Nyombola, a Kenyan writer, political analyst. That's it for us today. Thank you so much for joining. We hope you will stay tuned and, and tune in next week. Download the podcast, share it far and wide. Thank you. 
This is CliffCentral.com.